Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. I see some that I haven't actually met yet, and so I wanted to introduce myself. My name is Ryan Anderson. I'm married to Lauren Anderson. We have two kids. Now they're on the way. Things are getting pretty serious between us. Um, we are in a series called Change of Plans, and uh, last week Heidi kicked us off. Heidi's not here, unfortunately, uh, but she talked about the story of Jonah, and it was just really good. So if you have not had an opportunity to listen to that, go to the podcast and listen. Uh, but as she spoke, I realized that I, honestly, I think I've read through the story of Jonah in the actual Bible maybe once. Um, I have read through it many times in the Jesus Storybook Bible, which I highly recommend. Um, Jet, who is our four-year-old son, went through a phase where he just loved Jonah, and so we would just read Jonah in the Storybook Bible over and over and over, and so he would be very disappointed. Actually, the last two nights we were back in Jonah, we just, he wanted to read Jonah, um, and so we did. Um, and he would be disappointed. He's missing church tonight because he was feeling a little under the weather, but he would be disappointed because last week we talked about Jonah in here, and he was in the basement. Um, and a funny story on the topic of Jet and church. A couple nights ago, um, he was laying in bed, and he, you know, yells out, Daddy, when he's supposed to be sleeping. And I'm like, I run in to see what's wrong, and he's like, why don't we have those circle mints in church anymore? Like the little lifesaver mints, that was what he was concerned about. I know. I'm like, take it up with Holly. I don't know. I will immediately file a complaint with Holly. Uh, but that would be nice to be a kid again, and that is what you stay up in bed worrying about, is where, where did the mints go in church? Um, let me pray, and then we'll jump into some things. Uh, Jesus, I need you tonight as I stand up here humbly and stand here honored to share what you have given me. I pray that you would speak through me tonight and that anything that is of you, I pray, would be uh, communicated clearly and anything that is not of you would just be forgotten forever. So I love you. I need you. I invite you into this space. I pray that these people would walk out changed by what you have for them tonight. Amen. Uh, speaking of Jet and speaking of being a kid, I was a kid once, and uh, when I was a kid, I lived for this time of year. Like, summertime was the greatest time ever, and I distinctly remember some of my fondest childhood memories are the last day of school where I'm just running out of the school building, and like, I never have to go back there for three months, and <laughs> I'm not happening. And so summer would come, and I would play outside, and I would play in the sprinkler and jump on the trampoline and all kinds of stuff. Um, and I would spend just hours outside, all day outside, except for days when the Cubs played. And I would go inside at 1 o'clock, because they always played at 1 o'clock, 1.20, I guess, if you want to be specific. But I would go inside, I would turn on WGN, and I would watch the Cubs play. And uh, it started out with Ryan Sandberg and Andre Dawson, and then it went to Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire, and then eventually it was Aramis Ramirez and Derek Lee. But I would watch every single possible game that I could um, 
of the Cubs. And then after the game, I would go outside, just me and my mitt and a tennis ball, and we had this brick wall um, on the back of our garage, and I would just throw the tennis ball against the garage, and it was game seven of the World Series for me in my backyard against that brick wall. Two outs, bottom of the ninth, I'm pitching, and I would always throw the perfect pitch to get the guy out. I would you know, throw it against the wall and field it as it came back. No matter what the situation was, I was always there with a perfectly placed pitch or a pinch hit home run or a diving catch or whatever. Um, and I knew that all that practice, throwing a tennis ball against the wall, would ultimately get me to the big leagues. And I knew that it would get me to game seven of the World Series, two outs, bottom of the ninth, and I'm pitching for the Cubs. And 2016, it happened, where the Cubs are in the World Series, two outs, bottom of the, it's actually extra innings, game seven of the World Series, one pitch away from their first championship in 108 years, and I am at home, sitting on the couch, because I suck at baseball. <laughs> and it turns out that throwing a tennis ball against the wall does not help you hit a fastball at all. And I'm bummed because I would like to be playing for the Cubs. But at some point in my life, my plans changed. God changed plans for my life. I went from planning on being a big league ball player to getting a degree in marketing. And then I went from <laughs> big change. Uh, then I went from a job in marketing to a job in ministry. And there was a short stint where I wanted to be a rapper, and that didn't turn out very well. So back to ministry. And God just kept changing my plans. And the reality is, is God has changed my plans a whole bunch of times in my life. And sometimes it's a huge change. It's getting married. It's having a kid. It's uh, getting a new job or whatever. And other times it's a small change that doesn't even affect my day-to-day uh, -day life that I hardly even notice. Sometimes these changes can be easy to take. I got a raise, something like that. That's easy to take. Uh, sometimes these changes can be a serious challenge. Um, somebody gets a divorce or is uh, getting laid off or something like that. And so God has a tendency to change our plans, whether we like it or not. Um, my mom called me about a month ago, and God changed her plans recently. My stepdad, Dick, got diagnosed with cancer. And in the course of a few weeks... Their plans changed big time. Um, in one doctor's appointment, they found something and decided to get an MRI, MRI, which led to another MRI, which led to more doctor's appointments, which led to uh, multiple colonoscopies, which I don't know <laughs> exactly what that's like, but it doesn't, uh, if you think one colonoscopy is bad, I'm sure multiple is, is not good either. Um, I am... I don't know that from experience, but I'm just saying. Uh, it's been <laughs> if you want to know, just ask Barbara. She will tell you. Uh, <laughs> but MRIs, tests, doctor's appointments, all of that. And then last week, a port put in his chest, and that's for the six months of chemo that he will be going through in the next uh, six months ahead, and then probably surgery, and then just a complete uncertainty 
of what is next for him and, and for my mom, too. Um, and just that is, I, I have to be strong on the phone with my mom and tell her, you know, we can, plan, we can make plans all we want, but we are not in control. And that can be a hard thing to deal with sometimes. Um, but the changes in our plans that come our way, the seeming chaos that happens in our life, um, isn't the result of the world being out of control, but it's actually the result of the sovereign reign of the one who is in complete control. And uh, when it seems like God changes our plans without our consent, I uh, even as I'm talking to my mom, I have to uh, hold myself from saying something like, his ways are not our ways. Like, that's, a, that's something that is an easy thing when you bring something difficult to someone to, to say. And uh, if life takes a quick turn, or if we don't get the job we wanted, or if we get a cancer diagnosis or whatever it is, we kind of throw up our hands and say, his ways are not our ways. God's ways are not our ways. They're higher than ours. And that's good news, and that is an amazing biblical truth. Uh, it's scriptural, and it's true. His ways are not our ways. But that scripture isn't really talking about what we usually use it for. We don't, it's not in that context. It comes from Isaiah 55, and in, in the context of that chapter, it's not a statement about being surprised by what God did to change your plans. Uh, it's actually about the unbelievable compassion that God chooses to show us. And so let's read it. Isaiah 55, 6 through 9, verse 6 through 9, says this, Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God for he will forgive generously. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So, in that, um, the, the first part tells us what to do. The second part tells us why. God calls us to seek him, to call upon him, to return to the Lord. If we do this, it says he will have compassion on us. He will forgive generously. And this is good news, especially considering how often we wander away and how often we look to fill our own cups with basically anything except the love and the embrace of Jesus. And so if we return to Jesus, if we seek him, as it says, no matter how guilty we are, no matter how ashamed or dirty or tired, or no matter how many times we've done that same thing, he will not just forgive us, but like it says, he will forgive us generously. Another version says he will abundantly pardon us. Abundantly, not just barely pardon us, not just hesitate and then I guess I'll pardon you, but he sweeps us up and he wraps us in his arms and he forgives us over and over and over again. Hey, Brody. I'm happy to see you here. I didn't know you were here. It's good to see you. Uh, and as humans, we can't wrap our minds around this. We can't wrap our minds around the fact that he will abundantly pardon us. And that's why he goes on. That's why he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. He has to explain it to us because we just don't get it. We can't understand it. He loves us in a way that doesn't make sense in our human minds. 
our ways would not be to forgive. And if for some reason our, our ways, if we got it right and we did forgive, then the person forgiven would somehow try and, you know, repay the forgiver or pay him back because our hearts, our natural bend of our fallen hearts is for balancing the scales and making things even. And it, it, that is okay. That's actually because of the Imago Dei in us, because of the image of God, because we are created in the image of God. There's beauty in that, in balancing the scales and making things even, but it's still ruined by the sin in us, and it leaves us with such a small view of how God views us, how he truly feels about us. And so if you don't know how much it is, or, or let's say it this way, if you think you know how much it is that God loves you, you're wrong. You're, <laughs> you don't. You don't. You're not even close. He loves you way, way more. Because like it says, as high as the heavens are above the earth. Heavens, earth. I can't get there with my hands. Uh, that's how much higher his ways are than ours, and that's how differently he loves that's how differently he forgives than we do. And because of that, because his ways are higher than our ways, that's why God will always use the plans that he has for us for good. And if you want some proof of that, there's proof in the Bible. There's plenty of times. But if you want to talk, a ch- talk about a change of plans, it's hard not to go to the, the story of Saul, the conversion of Saul. That's a great place to start. So Acts 9, I want to open Acts 9. Um, it says this, Acts 9, During those days, Saul, full of angry threats and rage, wanted to murder the disciples of the Lord Jesus. So he went to ask the high priest and requested a letter of authorization so he could take, he could take to the Jewish leaders in Damascus, requesting their cooperation in finding and arresting any who were followers of the way. Saul wanted to capture all the believers he found, both men and women, and drag them as prisoners back to Jerusalem. So he obtained the authorization and left for Damascus. So this guy named Saul, who you probably know as Paul, wants to capture and murder Christians. That's his plan. And it's so much his plan that he goes and gets a letter of authorization to carry out his plan. And then he leaves to go kill and murder Christians. Um, but then God says, you know, that's not a very good plan. Let's change it. Uh, and so verse 3 says this, Just outside the city, a brilliant light flashing from heaven suddenly exploded all around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a booming voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The men accompanying Saul were stunned and speechless, for they heard a heavenly voice but could see no one. Saul replied, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus the Victorious the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city where you will be told what you are to do. Saul stood to his feet, and even though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. He was blind. So the men had to take him by the hand and lead him into Damascus. For three days he didn't eat or drink and couldn't see a thing. And then God comes and speaks to a man named Ananias, and he tells him to go meet Saul. And this is what God says about Saul to Ananias, about the man who just got a letter of authorization to go kill and capture Christians. This is what he says to Ananias about him, what God says. Verse 15, 
I have chosen this man, Saul, to be my special messenger. He will be brought before kings, before many nations, and before the Jewish people to give them the revelation of who I am. That's a change of plans. And then, uh, after Ananias goes to meet Paul, it says Paul's sight is restored, and he gets up, and he was immediately baptized, and then it says this. Within the hour, he was in, Paul was in the synagogues preaching about Jesus and proclaiming Jesus is the Son of God. That is an amazing change of plans that happens in the life of Paul. And so Paul's plan goes from, I'm going to capture and murder anyone who believes in Jesus, to I believe in Jesus myself, and now I'm going to tell everyone about it. And he does. He goes and he shares about Jesus in prison. He shares about Jesus in the synagogue. He shares about Jesus wherever he goes. And in fact, 14 out of 27 books in the New Testament are written by Paul. And he's generally regarded as one of the most important or one of the most influential followers of Jesus ever in the history of life. And so that's quite the change of plans in somebody's life. And we can look all over the Bible, like I said, and see God changing the plans of people. It's not just Saul. God changed David's plan from a shepherd boy to a king. God changed the plans of Moses, using him to lead the nation of Israel. God changed the plans of the thief on the cross. Today you will be with me in paradise, from a murderer and a thief to with Jesus in paradise. The woman at the well, she went uh, to the well that day. She thought she was just getting regular old water. She walked away with some living water. Never get thirsty again. Peter, James, John, Matthew, they didn't expect to just leave their jobs and their lives behind. That was not in their plans, and yet God steps in. Jesus steps in and changed their plans because Jesus is in the business of changing people's plans. In fact, Jesus changed all the plans the second he showed up. If, think about this. Before Jesus came was the Old Covenant, the Law of Moses. And when you hear about the Old Covenant or the Law, um, essentially it's a hundred, hundreds of commands laid out in the Old Testament. And if you fall short of the Law, you'd be punished oftentimes by death. Worship a false god, punishable by death. Disrespect a parent, punished by death. A little harsh, but that's part of the law. Commit adultery, stone to death. Break the Sabbath, death. So it's just the list goes on and on and on with this impossible list of rules that we as humans will never, ever, ever, ever be able to live up to. And since these crimes needed punishment, they began to give offerings in place of their own lives and in place of their own punishment. They would kill a goat or a lamb or an animal um, as an offering for the life that was paid. And there were guilt offerings and there were sin offerings and there were peace offerings and grain offerings and burnt offerings. And all these offerings offered to God, uh, typically for the unintentional sins of the people of Israel, because, again, they knew the law was impossible to keep. And for generation after generation after generation, this is the system in place until Jesus shows up. And Jesus changes everything. Jesus comes, lives a perfect life. He offers himself as the perfect sacrifice instead of all these lambs and sheep and burnt offerings and no more grain offerings, no more animal sacrifices. He is a perfect sacrifice for every sin of every person for all of time. And Jesus changed the game forever. And now we 
benefit from that. We no longer have to be perfect because Jesus was. And all we need to do is trust in his perfection and receive his grace. And then he changes our sin to forgiveness. He changes our weakness to strength. He changes our foolishness to wisdom. He has deliverance for our bondage and joy instead of pain and peace instead of chaos and hope instead of despair. And it's all because of Jesus. It's because he changed the game when he stepped into the picture. And obviously there's, there's reason. I mean, he, it, it's, Jesus was the plan. He, he always was the plan, but he changed the game as he stepped in. Um, and the, the book of Jeremiah paints the whole picture of God changing his plan for us beautifully. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, plans for you to prosper, plans for hope, plans for a future. When we talk about God's plans for us, that one verse is probably what gets quoted the most. People have tattoos of it, people hanging in their hallway in a picture frame. It's, it's everywhere. I've, like, you probably, it, it was hard not to write a sermon on God's plans without using Jeremiah 29, 11. But the reason I'm using it is not to say that quote or that, that scripture, but he, it's because of what's right after that. Jeremiah 29, 11 is that. But right after that, Jeremiah 30 and then 31, 32, 33 is where we see a clear picture of God's plan for us. Those chapters are called the Book of Consolation, and because it's because in those chapters, God reveals to his people his final change of plans, his final response to our sinfulness. Uh, when the people of Israel are expecting judgment for their failures, he changes the plans to comfort. He pulls us into his heart, and we cannot sin our way out of it. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And he says that, I've loved you with an everlasting love on the heels of 29 chapters that talk about our sinfulness and judgment, the judgment that we deserve. Chapter 1, I'm not going to go through all 29, just so you know. Chapter 1 says, I will declare my judgments against them for all they're evil. Chapter 2, my people have forsaken me. Chapter 3, you've polluted the land with your vile whoredom. Yeah, I, I've never said that before, but <laughs> now I probably will often. Uh, chapter 4, how long shall your wicked thoughts lodge within you? This pe- chapter 5, this people has a stubborn and rebellious heart. And for 29 chapters, he goes on and he speaks of uh, the sin and the judgment that we deserve. But then 30, 31, 32, change, change the plans. In the next chapters, after 29 chapters of sin and judgment, he says this, his heart yearns for us. Speaking about God's children, he says, for as often as I speak against him, I do still remember him. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, declares the Lord. In college, there was a guy named Mark who, uh, first time I met him, I hated him. Big muscles, tattoos everywhere, good with the ladies, just the kind of guy I'm not. Uh, (laughs) Except for the muscles, I got the muscles. 
Just kidding. I don't have muscles. I, I always make fun of my muscles on stage for some reason. The other day, I was holding those like long lighters. I had one in each hand, and I walked by a mirror, and I'm like, I look like Lumiere from Beauty and the Beast. Like scrawny arms, candlestick legs, and fire hands. But anyway, Mark, big muscles, tattoos. Um, I just, in my mind, he was my enemy. I don't know why. I had a grudge against him. Uh, but fast forward now, and Mark is one of my best friends. I was in his wedding. We lived together for a while, and I love the guy. He is one of my closest friends. And we went from being enemies. I don't know if he was ever, or I was ever his enemy, but he was, in my mind, my enemy. And he went from enemy to friend. And that's exactly what happens here in Jeremiah. We go from God's enemies to God's friends. The Bible says we are at enmity with God. We are his enemies. And then Jesus came, and now we're not just called friends of God, but we're called family, sons and daughters of the king, heirs to the throne. And that's amazing. We, he has given us access to his kingdom, given us access to him, the creator of the universe. Um, <clears throat> maybe you're thinking, and based on what Heidi said last week, maybe you're thinking, Ryan, I thought this was a series about how humans can change God's plan, not how he changes our plans. I know he changes our plans. Uh, he's sovereign. He's God. He can do that. But we as humans also can change God's plan, and that's what's beauty. But to bring about change, it takes something from us. It takes our faith. We have to act. The way that humans can change the plans of God is through our faith. And Heidi talked about it last week. Uh, Jonah, his faith changing God's mind. David's faith in God is what ultimately led him to become king. The woman at the well's faith is what changed God's plans for her life. The thief on the cross's faith is what changed God's plan for his eternity. Uh, Matthew and Peter and the disciples, their faith is what changed the plans that God had for their life by having the faith to step away from what they knew and um, following Jesus. And if we don't have faith, then God may not change our plans. Think about that. Our faith has the ability to change God's plan for us, for our life. Our faith has the ability to change God's plan for us. Let's look at uh, Hezekiah. Hezekiah, not a... um, name that I say often, not a person that I necessarily study often, but um, Heidi actually pointed this out to me, and I was like, that, that's really good. I'm going to use it. So Second uh, Kings 20, verses 1 through 6. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, this is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you are going to die. You will not recover. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Before Isaiah had left the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. Go back and tell Hezekiah, the ruler of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David, says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. On the third day from now, you will go up to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life. So Hezekiah is going to die. 
but he's not ready to go yet, which I get. I can totally understand that. Maybe you hadn't seen the Cubs win the World Series or something. He's just not ready to go. Uh, but it was Hezekiah's prayer, it was his faithfulness, his wholehearted devotion to the Lord that changed God's plan. His faith changed God's plan. God added 15 years to Hezekiah's life based on his faithfulness. And that's beautiful that his faith changed his life. But here's, what I, uh, here's what's easy to miss. Hezekiah's faith didn't just change God's plan for his own life. It changed God's plan for the entire city. Verse 6 goes on to say this. Uh, it says, I will add 15 years to your life, and I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. Hezekiah's faithfulness didn't just rescue himself, it rescued an entire city. I will deliver you and this city. Our faith has the ability to change God's plan, not just for ourselves, but for those around us as well. And that's what I felt when I was over there being prayed with, lots of hands on me, praying for stomach issues that I've had for couple of years now, and I've seen doctors, and I don't know what's going on, and yet the faith of my friends that laid hands on me, I believe, will heal me. And God's plan for my life is to walk away from these stomach issues and be healed based on the faith of people in this church. I believe that. Um, so our faith has the ability to change God's plan, not just for ourselves, but those around us. And um, we have to use the power of our faith to change God's plan for their lives. We can't sit by and lay idle when we have that power in us. Uh, I work for Youth for Christ. So over the last 10 years, I've had the privilege of having a front row seat to see and watch the faithfulness of others impact the lives of some of our students. Three of them, my boys right back there, are, uh, are part of that. But um, at some point, a couple years ago, I just started uh, screenshotting texts. Texts that I've gotten, texts that other people have gotten, basically as proof of changed lives, based on the faithfulness of others. I just want to read a couple of those to you. If, are those on the screen? Okay, you may not be able to see it, but I'm going to read them anyway. Man, I am nervous, but so excited and thankful. Thank you, Ryan, and you and a couple others. Uh, just everyone in campus life really changed my life and me as a person. Never would I think... Never would I ever think I'd be brave enough to be a leader to these kids and let alone speak in front of people. I'm truly thankful for these opportunities and everything you guys do. I love you guys so much. The faithfulness of others investing in the life of a high school student to do that. Uh, this next one, I just want to take a moment to thank both of you. If I would have never gone to Campus Life, I wouldn't be where I am today in my relationship with Jesus. Without you guys reaching out to me for four years, I'd be so lost right now. I've started my leader training with Young Life at school here, and I'm just constantly reminded how much you guys did for me and allowed me to end up here. Thank you, thank you, thank you for everything you have done for me and are doing for other kids. I am forever grateful for both of you. Uh, a couple more. 
Hey, just wanted to personally thank you for leading not only me, but all of us girls. You did a great job. I also wanted to thank you for being a part in my journey and becoming a child of God. It has honestly been amazing. I can't wait to keep exploring everything God can and will do for me. And then one more. Um, <clears throat> this one's funny. Bro, like, I don't know how to thank you for everything you've done for me. Thanks for something they did for him. Like, thanks so much, bro. 100. <laughs> of course, I love you, brother. I love you too, man. And so, our faith can change the mind of God. Our faith can change our lives. And our faith can change the lives of others. And there are people in this room who can testify to that. Uh, probably every person in this room can say somebody's faith changed God's mind for my life, and my life changed because of that person's faith. Uh, back when I was a kid, throwing a ball against a brick wall in the backyard, bottom of the ninth, I was always the hero. But I think the problem is, is that those days birthed a posture in me of something that was pretty unhealthy. And I went into my life completely misinformed. First of all, I was misinformed about how good my curveball was. Second of all, I was misinformed about the quality of my character. I was always the hero back then. I was always one to hit the game-winning home run. And that led me to read the Bible in a way that always made me the hero too. And so I would read the story of the prodigal son and think that I was the forgiving father. Or I would read the Good Samaritan and think that I was the man who stopped to tend to the wounds of the beaten man. But I'm beginning to realize that not only am I not always the hero, but I'm often the villain. In the story of the gospel, I bring the sin. And every time I'm ready to turn the spotlight onto the trophies in my trophy case, you can just turn it right back to the cross. Because Jesus is the hero, not me. I am the runaway son that spends all his father's money. I'm the one that walks right by the beaten man on the street. I'm Peter who bails on Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. Jesus is the hero and not me. It was my sin that he paid the price for. I was lost, but he found me. I was dead, but he brought me back to life. It's Jesus we need in the bottom of the ninth. I'm going to strike out, but he's going to come through. And yet, he chooses me. He allows my faith to make a difference, to change his mind in the lives of other people. Not just in my life, not just in the lives of others, but in this entire world. Let me pray. Thank you, Jesus, for allowing me, a broken man, to impact this world for good. Thank you for using me. Thank you for the way that you have placed faith in each one of us to impact the people around us. I pray that we would not lose that faith. We would use it to change lives of others, to change hearts of others. God, um, a small mustard seed-sized faith is what we need to move mountains. And so I pray that in my friends in this room, you would build their faith and that it wouldn't be wasted that we would uh, pray and we would trust and we would believe and we would change the lives of other people. We would change your plans for our lives and you would just do an incredible work in the lives of others.
We love you, Jesus. We trust you, and we pray this in your name. Amen.